Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. Here we are, Father John, Nathan Goble. Can we start with a shout out today? Good. I'm going to do a shout out later. Let's do All right. it. We'll start with one now. And this is a, just a unique one. Brandy Mater, Matter, Mater. 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 Unique New York. Unique New York. So Brandy is from Kentucky, and Brandy was out in the area with her mom, and she came to Mass on Sunday. So I got to meet her. Go on. Yeah. That's oh, she came basically to here. It. She came to Mass here. Yeah, I thought it was nice. She was up in Estes Park, and I actually got to meet one of our uh, listeners, and she said there's a whole uh, Louisville Young Catholic crew, and they some of them listen to the podcast. So, cool. To Louisville. Is that how you pronounce it? Louisville. That's uh, to you. To the KFC Yum Center, we send our <laughs> salutes. Um, I actually have a story from Louisville this summer. Um, so um, I got really excited because I got Mumford & Sons tickets you know, to uh, to go to the Mumford & Sons concert at Red Rocks. But um, I wanted to see if my little brothers could come with. And and you know, obviously, you know, it's in Denver. They can't come. So uh, I was researching, and I found that they had tickets in Louisville. So, so what was the name of that uh, festival? Uh, Waterfront Park. Ah. Waterfront Park. So uh, anyways, so uh, I got the tickets. I was all excited. I told my little brothers. They're both huge fans. And, uh, you know, I said, look, one of you needs to make sure that, you know, you're off from school because he's still a, you know, junior in high school. He's got band camp, so he's got to get out of that. Uh, He plays the marimba, in case you were wondering. (laughs) Uh, He's not single, just in case you were also wondering. He's also, you know, 17. So... Um, but my other brother, he's usually responsible, so I didn't really worry about him. It was a ticketless venue, ticketless. So <laughs> we drive from my hometown, Mount Zion, Illinois, true pole of the earth, five hours down to Louisville, and as we pull up to Waterfront Park, I'm like, yeah, the concert's tomorrow, or the concert's next week. Next Monday. Next Monday. So we showed up a week <laughs> early for the concert. I was like, all like, we need to get there early because, you know, it's, you know, tickets, there's no, there's no seats on the waterfront. So anyway, so Dalton couldn't go. And uh, we went later and uh, got some, what was it, uh, Spinelli's Pizza and, uh, you know, saw the KFC Yum Center twice. So Very nice. And uh, we'll be going back there in a couple of years for the Maker's Mark Distillery. That's right. And Stillman loses that bet. Exit 93, I think. Exit 93. Very nice. Well, I'm going to talk about a classic uh, topic today, one of which will bore you um, tremendously. And we probably... Please tell me we're not talking about religious freedom again. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're talking about this guy named Von Balthazar. Do you know him? Have you heard of him? I yeah. I think I've maybe, maybe come across him in my uh, chicken soup books once or twice. Oh, very nice. Well, what I'd like to talk about today is the notion of theology and beauty. Because mm-hmm. I am uh, planning this really random thing next summer. Next June, and I think you're coming on it, but we're not totally sure. We that's, haven't worked out the details right. of that. But basically, I'm taking a pilgrimage to Switzerland, uh, and I'm taking a bunch of college kids, and Nathan Goebel will be our entertainment for the uh, two weeks. Father Garonsky, our spiritual director, hopefully be on it as well. My brother just bailed, but that's all right. Maybe one, maybe your 17-year-old marimba brother could join <laughs> us. But uh, it's going to be a very interesting pilgrimage because it's like, why would you go to Switzerland? Oh, Father John likes to climb mountains, and so he just wants an excuse. Yeah, that's kind of true. Yep. But the other side of it is... I've crafted this idea of a pilgrimage. Now, usually pilgrimage is to a place that's been sanctified by some saint. Okay, so there's some kind of shrine, something going on there. We're not doing that. Balthazar's not a saint uh, yet. He will be someday, I'm sure. But um, what this is is a pilgrimage to beauty, Ah. Ah, to the transcendental. Because if God is at work in history, 
and he's transforming natures, and he's transforming these things, the hagioi, the saints. In some way, we can understand that God engages beauty and elevates it and transforms it by revealing its depths in the Trinitarian life. Bam! So the idea is to go to the most beautiful country in the world, which is likewise the most, probably the most secular, one of the most secular countries in the world, uh, and to search into the heart of secular Europe uh, in search of beauty and its understanding theologically and how God desires to speak in our post-Christian world uh, and how do he desires to use beauty uh, to bring about evangelization. That's yeah. the pitch. Yeah. They actually went for it. College yeah. kids actually signed up for this. I could not believe it. Yeah. So we're doing that. But the question is, uh, what is the relationship of beauty uh, to theology? Now, Nathan has read... Uh, Maybe part of the book that I'm uh, holding in my hand. The, the gl- first the first quarter of that book, I think. Okay, this is an 800-page book yeah. uh, called Seeing the Form, the, the Glory of the Lord, Volume 1, Seeing the Form, by Hans Urs von Balthasar. This is where he lays out what he calls his theological aesthetics, the, be- the theology of beauty, so to speak. Now, you're saying to yourself, what the heck? What are we talking about here? What are we talking about with beauty? Beauty is one of the three transcendentals, Nathan. The Goodness. other two being... Goodness. And truth. truth. And what is a transcendental? I was going to say truth. Thank you. <laughs> I'm trying to engage you before you fall asleep again. Oh, what is, I can't. Why can't I, I? I can see in your eyes. They're getting, all, they're getting real thin. Well, it's, <laughs> I'm swimming out of my depths. You know, I okay. got my water wings on and I feel Terry like, Wright actually, our professor, Dr. Wright, actually listens to these podcasts. So you better get this right now. His wife was our metaphysics teacher. That's so, right. Okay. So what it, give a basic... Exclamation. What is a uh, transcendental? Um, I would call them attributes. uh, Attributes of being that are found in all being. So they transcend. um, I don't know what transcend means, but like they, they, they go through, they flow through every form of being. So um, every thing that exists has goodness truth and beauty that was beautiful it participates in some way in truth goodness and beauty but you know plato would call them forms that exist outside and you know we would call that you know god right well said so basically beauty is one of the three attributes that we speak of everything that is is beautiful is good and is true Mm -hmm. the three transcendentals now balthazar takes on these three transcendentals because we can say, if I can say that everything is that is, everything that exists, uh, everything that has being is true, good, and beautiful, then the fullness of being must be the fullness of truth, goodness, and beauty. Mm-hmm. So if God discloses himself in history, then he must disclose himself in some way as the fullness of truth, the fullness of goodness, and the fullness of beauty. Are we recording? Yeah, okay, we're good. good. wasn't sure. He went to the computer. He looked a little concerned. My voice is still too loud. Oh, no, it's not too loud. Okay, we're good. Turn it down. Good. Go ahead. So beauty then becomes the one thing that we have not really talked about over the centuries. We talk about God as truth all the time, right? I talk with my uh, uh, parish about that, and, and everybody thinks that the faith isn't merely an intellectual act and that we talk about truth. So theology and truth has a long history uh, in engaging because Christ tells us I am the truth, Right. Likewise, goodness. We know that there's a moral dimension to the faith. You can't just be have faith as an intellectual thing, but it demands goodness. It demands a change, that you become goodness, that you become moral in a sense. Now, when people look at the Catholic Church, what do they see? They see 
a bunch of doctrines and a bunch of moral obligations. Yep. They see truth and goodness, but what they don't see is beauty. Beauty. You got it. That was so good. You did it all by yourself. I'm I'm slowly learning. So beauty, yeah, is the one thing that is missing. And it's the one thing that's missing in our culture. Now what Balthazar says is is he goes backwards. Usually we start with truth and then we try and go to good and then we try and go to beauty. And he says in a world that we're inhabiting right now with relativism that dominates truth. So no one can people struggle in coming to truth because relativism is so common. And likewise uh, in a world of moral relativism, uh, the language of goodness and morality is so screwed up. He says, beauty, quoting Dostoevsky, is what will save the world. Mm-hmm. You give them beauty, and they'll all of a sudden want to be good. They'll want to be moral. But that's a very different way of looking at it. If we can captivate people with the beauty of God and the beauty of the church, the beauty of the faith, then they will naturally desire to be good, and when they're good, they'll be free to understand and engage the truth. So much of my time on the University of Colorado is talking to people about intellectual debates. But all of that is because they don't want to stop sleeping with their girlfriend or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's all the whole cosmology is informed by the morality. They have no interest whatsoever. But if you start with beauty and you captivate them, then all of a sudden it's going to move them and they're going to desire to be good. This sounds like a homily. Do you have any thoughts on this? Well, I think it's interesting that you're preaching to a secular crowd in Boulder. So you have, uh, like you said, relativism, uh, broken morality, and yet you're surrounded by, you know, the flat irons. Right. And, you know, you're talking about the the trip to Switzerland where you're going to go into a secular state that has lost its uh, roots in Christianity, uh, but you're going to be in the Alps. And then uh, other places I'm thinking of are like New Zealand or something like that where people are just enthralled with beauty. And yet, um, how is it that when people are surrounded by beauty— in those places, many times they lose truth and goodness. And that is the question. How can one encounter beauty and yet not be moved into an objective desire for uh, goodness and truth? And that's where I think we have to understand, and this is where Balthazar says, that when God discloses himself as beautiful, it radically transcends our understanding of beauty. The most beautiful moment in the history of the world is the second person of the Trinity, in human flesh dying on the cross, right? The crucifixion is somehow as beautiful, but it's ugly, it's hideous, it's horrible. And anyone who's suffering knows that suffering is awful, is is ugly. But somehow it's beautiful in that it is the mode by which God uh, reconciles the world to himself. He does it, and it's beautiful because it radiates that. And Bonnet, St. Bonaventure was big on this, that God's beauty takes the form of ugliness because it becomes an act of selfless surrender and love. So God's beauty, which we call glory, transcends the worldly understanding of beauty, right? In the world, beauty is just the flat irons with a little snow on them and the clouds misting around them, or that, you know, smoking hot girl, whatever it might be, right? This is beauty. But the rest of it is just ugly, and the rest of it just has no meaning. And so we seek after that which is pleasurable to us, right? Because we have a worldly understanding of beauty. So we got to go back to Aristotle for a second and say, okay, what exactly is beauty and yeah. how do we understand beauty? Yeah. Balthazar says that beauty is two things. Beauty is the perception of the form. Actually, this is Aristotle. Perception of the form and then the delight in the splendor. Mm-hmm. So the first part is what we have to say is that there's there's a worldly understanding, a secular understanding of beauty, and then there's also a theological understanding of beauty. 
that is works from God's disclosure of himself as the most beautiful thing. The most beautiful thing that is because he is the most thing that is. His per- being is perfect. Mm. So um, that's the first thing is that we have to say that there's a perception of a form that's deeper when we understand God's being as disclosing his beauty in a more profound and more beautiful way. And that transcends radically what we would call aestheticism, like the be- beautiful things of yes. this world, yes. right? Um, that somehow there's beauty in strange ugliness and poverty in things that are not, uh, in the eyes of the world, beautiful mm-hmm. because of the way that God is working and God's disclosing his history. It's almost like beauty is reintegrated back into love, into the Trinitarian love, and then it becomes effusive in a very different form. Does that make sense? So then uh, Balthazar was strongly opposed to aestheticism. Mm-hmm. And so by not the aesthetic, because it's an aesthetic theology, or a theolo- theological aesthetics. So I think he's not saying that it's aesthetic theology, that it's a th- theological aesthetics. I don't know what the difference is. Maybe you can explain that. So that's question one. Um, but then aestheticism, um, just this, you know, kind of misplaced notion of we just need to go to more symphonies and we need to support the arts and, um, you know, we need to be in touch with, um, you know, our local art museum or something like that. Um, that's true. Um, I think you can certainly encounter the the beautiful the beautiful form, um, the form of beauty in classical music and in um, you know art museums and something. But simply seeking after that without the uh, without the encounter with the divine is um, kind of tepid. It is. So yeah, aestheticism um, is what is what he's referring to as um, that worldly beauty, which doesn't necessarily uh, entail um, a, a transformation of my being, of my soul. Like, I, I don't necessarily have to. When I go to a symphony, it's like, oh, that's very prone. I kind of in, do the splendor. I enjoy it, but I don't necessarily am not moved in a deeper way to say I must become now beautiful myself. And what exactly did you say was uh, form and splendor again, just so uh, glory and splendor? So form is... We're perceiving something. Perception of the form is beauty. Is beauty, and then the but the delight and the splendor yeah. is that it is the experience of beauty. If yeah, I'm under, if I'm understanding no, this right, because if they pick up Balthazar, he's he's constantly going back to form and splendor. Right, form and um, splendor are kind of the two dimensions. So to one this. is one is objective, one is subjective. Right, um, but in fallen humanity, what I think this is the key. You know, I go to Crested Butte, Colorado, as often as I can. I love it up there, but it's this this paradise where. People never age and never die, and um, everything is just beautiful. Mm-hmm. And they're building new art centers, and the town is perfect, and the mountain is, is – the wildflowers are always kind of in bloom. It's amazing. Yeah. But the world has fallen, and so man desires to possess beauty, and that's the fundamental problem. What aestheticism does is it sets up a way for us to enjoy, perceive the form and delight in the splendor so that we can possess that beauty. And so what that does is that when we try to possess beauty, which we never can, it always eludes us, it always is destroyed in the moment we try to possess it, then all of a sudden we take that into the moral life and we try and possess the good, hmm. which is why we try and possess the woman or the money or whatever it might be. Yeah. Uh, and you can see how this la- – and then we try and possess the truth That's by the determining word. that which is true. Mm-hmm. So it, it all begins in this kind of fundamental understanding of we have reverence and awe uh, in the splendor. We don't have the desire to possess in the splendor. So I think 
there's a lot of people running around the globe right now. There's this guy named, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Forrest Woodward. Forrest Woodward is a, a photographer, professional photographer for like all these different companies, Patagonia, these different things. I met him through a mutual friend here in Boulder. He was just passing through town. And uh, I saw him, met him at the Southern Sun and had a beer. And he's just living that life. He just goes on these wild adventures. Mm-hmm. He has no ties, no responsibility, no moral life, no real principles to live by, except just delight in, in pleasure, in, in the pleasure of beauty in the world, in Patagonia and Tibet, wherever it might be, New Zealand. And uh, that's what we're tr- fundamentally trying not to do, is if you just go from delight to delight to delight or try and possess it, you'll never be satisfied. You have to dig deeper and say, how can I find beauty? And this is what's so interesting. I preached on this on Sunday, and this guy came up to me, and he said, I know what you're talking about because my wife had cancer five years ago. And somehow to find beauty in that was a task that was far more difficult than ever just looking up at the uh, the flat irons on a sunny day or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're talking about. When you return to the God's disclosure of his beauty— it gives and shines light upon beauty in people, in history, in events, in whatever, in radically different ways. Mm-hmm. And it elevates us beyond the natural into a, a really a supernatural disclosure of what beauty actually is. The um, the real task, like what, you're, what you were saying before about trying to grasp and control the beautiful and the good and the true, um, goes back to the encounter with God in that God is apprehensible. He is never comprehensible. I'll never be able to completely surround him in such a way that, you know, like a video game, I've got it figured out. You know, I know where the one-ups are. I know all the secret passages. I figured all these things out. Um, and, you know, you see that in the in the wisdom of the saints who have mystical experiences of God unveiling himself, and yet uh, it's more God unveils themselves to themselves and in in tandem, he reveals just a facet of his perfection to them. Right. You know, St. Margaret Mary, she sees the Sacred Heart. St. Catherine Laveray, she sees, you know, the Immaculate Heart of Mary or something like that. So you have all these different saints, but they're never able to completely surround and conquer uh, truth, goodness, and beauty uh, in the same way that our, our technological age desires to dominate, possess, um, and really surround the um, scientific realm with, we've got it figured out. Right. We did it. And you understand why the world is so estranged from God, because you come to God through being, you come to God through the transcendentals. And if you're spending your life trying to possess beauty, goodness, and truth, then essentially what you're saying is you're trying to possess God, uh, and, and he is completely unpossessable. He dwells in unapproachable light. And knowledge of him is, in fact, unknowledge of him, right? We're led deeper into darkness uh, by because the light that radiates from his being is so profound and so deep. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I'm always kind of going after that with people, you know. You do not have possession of God when you enter into the life of faith in Christ. You don't possess him. You do in one sense because he hands himself over. But in another sense, you can never entirely possess him. You possess that which is unpossessable. That's the essence of it. And that's beauty reflects that, goodness reflects that, truth reflects that. And the more that we stand in awe and in wonder, fundamentally of the way that God discloses himself as true, good, and beautiful in history, the more free we'll be to understand that in all of creation that radiates that by the nature of its own being. Mm -hmm. That's enough of our lecture for one day. Well, I mean, uh, iconically, 
uh, one way to to kind of look at this is, um, you know, Princess Diana and uh, Mother Teresa had a deep friendship. And anytime you see the two of them together, it's kind of comical, you know, because according to this age, um, Princess Di was just, you know, the the radiance of right. femininity and right. and she exuded this kind of confidence and dignity and and you know people flocked to her and and so much so that like they like you know pursued her to the point of um kind of ravenously uh looking trying to look into her life to the point of death um and yet um when mother teresa is standing next to her you have this like gnarled albanian senior citizen <laughs> With just decrepit hands and feet, uh, in kind of a, you know, a sari, s a r i, you know, not exactly shapely, um, and yet there's this powerful beauty that is radiating from her that's, in a way, over overpowering. Um, Princess dies beauty, um, according to our perception of that, and yet she as you said, in a way of unknowing, uh, in a way of darkness, um, came to a deeper knowledge of the beauty of the poor. Right. And uh, my favorite line from about the poor, which is really helpful if you're ever in, you know, involved in social ministry or something, is what Dorothy Day said about the poor, which is uh, there's two things you need to know about the poor. They smell bad and they're ungrateful. Um, and I think that kind of shatters your perception to say – Everything's going to be great. It's going right, to be awesome. Right. Um, it is going to be awesome, but in the truest sense of awesome. Like, you are in awe at what you're beholding. Um, and so when Mother Teresa is working with these alcoholics or AIDS victims or something, then um, it's, it's scary to be around. Um, she actually perceives something much deeper than just, you know, he's in need and I guess I should help him or something like that. Exactly. I think that's a really good analogy between... Um, Princess Di is being kind of the model of the uh, the performance. And then they died on the same day, which is crazy. Uh, I'll close with this quote, and you probably know the quote that I'm going to give here. Um, this is from Balthazar, of course, but uh, I think this kind of sums up the gravity of this topic. He says, Our situation today shows that beauty demands for itself at least as much courage and decision as do truth and goodness, and she will not allow herself to be separated or banned from her two sisters, without taking them along with herself in an act of mysterious vengeance. This is so Balthazar. We can be sure that whoever sneers at her name, that he's talking about beauty, as if she were an ornament of the bourgeois past, whether he admits it or not, can no longer pray and soon will no longer be able to love. Yep. So the experience of authentic beauty and recovering that theologically is at the very is at, what's at stake is our prayer life and our even our capacity to love. The world doesn't understand that, but as Christians, we have to take that really radically seriously um, and, and recover that sense of it. So, thank you, Hansers. It's time to recover beauty. Bam, and then say mass, and then eat dinner with you. That's right. All right, Catholic Stuff Podcast at Gmail dot com. That's it. Thanks for listening. Cheers. <laughs>